Welcome to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. A little later in the show, we are going to talk about your bumpy rides to work, to school, back home, all over the metro area. Roads are just absolutely chewed up from the cold and the salt and the ice, way worse than we normally see it. We are going to talk about those potholes. We're going to talk about the money that is going into filling those potholes, the money that you are spending to fix your cars as you bump around the metro area. And we're going to talk about the investment that's not happening right now that would prevent us from dealing with this every year. Uh, We're going to have an extended conversation about road infrastructure later, and I would imagine that lots of you will have interesting things to say about what is going on with uh, our roads right now, what's going on with the money that we're spending uh, to make this uh, a little better. And I would love to hear from you, the listeners, about what you would be willing to do to make this a little better. How much more would you be willing to pay at the pump or in line at the Secretary of State when you register your vehicles to make sure that our roads are better? We're also going to get, I think, an answer to a question that I have had for a really, really long time about our roads. How come when you drive south from here on I-75, as soon as you hit the Ohio line, everything is much better? You stop bumping around, and it's like you're driving on a clean sheet of glass. The Ohio has the same weather that Michigan does. Uh, the trucks that come through our state have to go through Ohio first. I doubt they dump their loads at the border. Um, why is it that Ohio's better able to do these things than we are? We're going to have uh, someone with us who will help answer that question. And of course, we're going to want to hear from you guys about what the commute looks like right now and how tired you are of these roads. Are you tired enough to pay to have something different happen? So that's going to get started about halfway through the hour. Up front, Amid an extraordinary national conversation about gun violence and mass shootings this week, President Donald Trump made some really bold statements about a potential way forward. He called for eliminating bump stocks, expanding background checks, and raising the minimum age to buy high-powered rifles, all of which flies in the face of the National Rifle Association. But Trump says the NRA will come to see it his way, and he also floated proposals That make the NRA happy, putting armed teachers and concealed carry permits in schools and possibly restricting use or availability of violent video games and movies. That a Republican president is diving headfirst into the sticky wicket of this gun debate at all is notable. But will he find any momentum in the NRA-funded offices of Republican lawmakers in Congress? That's where we want to start the conversation today. Uh, Will the president's change of heart on these gun regulations be the thing that pushes it into law in the Congress? And will those things make a difference if we put them into law? We, as always, want to hear from you uh, on the phones. 313-577-1019 is the number. That's 313-577-1019. And joining us now to, uh, to talk more about it is... Alex Yablon, he is a reporter with The Trace, an independent nonprofit investigative journalism outfit that exclusively covers guns and gun violence. Alex, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Uh, so l- let's talk about the, the president first. Uh, he, as he is on many issues, 
he's all over the place here, right? Uh, he said one thing at one point. He said something different at another. Right now, what he's saying is, okay, we got to get serious about this. And I think the pressure he's feeling from the anger that comes out of what happened last week in Florida has a lot to do with it. Uh, how different is this from where he has been historically? And is it something you think we ought to take seriously? I mean, it's um, it's really hard to say what his position on this has been historically. You know, before he was a politician, he endorsed assault weapon bans, and he didn't have a lot of love for the NRA. That's obviously changed uh, since he ran for and won office. Um, since then, he's been really, really close to the NRA. He's uh, the you know, he's appeared at two different NRA conventions in the past, uh, which I believe is more than any other president. Um, and, you know, he uh, he's floated a lot of different proposals, some of which are pretty um, surprising to hear a Republican make, you know, openness to banning bump stocks, uh, a desire to uh, raise the age for buying rifles. But, you know, we've, we've seen that the proposal that he's been most strident about is arming teachers, which, um, you know, he's saying it in very blunt terms, but is pretty close to NRA rhetoric. Uh, so, I mean, I think that ultimately, you know, as he often does, he'll float uh, a sort of out of left field, seemingly pretty progressive policy. You know, he said he wants, uh, you know, a deal for dreamers and um only to be reminded by his staff that, uh, you know, he's actually staked out a different position. Right. So I think that what we're seeing is he's circling around to a lot of different positions, but is ultimately, uh, you know, towing the NRA's line. Yeah. Um, the bump stock ban uh, is kind of working out how the NRA would like it to. Uh, it's happening in a you know, in the in the federal bureau, uh, Department of Justice bureaucracy, it's not something that politicians are going to have to actually take a vote on. So their their elected allies are kind of being saved um, that uh, that that kind of moment of scrutiny. Um, and uh, you know, other things though, like raising the age on uh, buying rifles, that really is a pretty serious uh, break with the NRA. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I would be surprised to see uh, uh, if that actually makes it into law. Yeah. Uh, at uh, Trace, you guys cover guns and gun violence uh, very specifically. Talk about some of these proposals and what effect, if, if we could get them through Congress, which ones would be the ones that we might actually count on to to roll back the frequency with which we're seeing these these mass shootings right now so the thing that i think is probably the two uh that i think are perhaps the most likely though i don't know how likely they really are to be passed into law are the fix nicks act uh which would provide a lot of money for states to better report a records like uh those indicating people who've been involuntarily committed to psychiatric care. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, if the you know, Department of Justice uh, fails to uh, make a rule successfully banning bump stocks, perhaps at a later date, a bump, st uh, bump stock ban bill. Um, you know, we, Republicans have, uh, have passed simil um, bills similar to Fix Nicks in the past. Uh, in 2007, 
um, after the Virginia Tech shooting, which was committed by a you know a young a disturbed young man who had been ordered by a judge to see to seek uh, psychiatric care, mm-hmm. um, but whose records you know the records of that were not sent to the FBI. President Bush signed a bill that created a lot of grants uh, to uh, to help states better report those records. The only problem was uh, states didn't actually apply for those grants, uh, and a lot of that money was never actually distributed. Yeah. Um, the bump stock bill, uh, it has some opponents in the House uh, among the sort of hardcore right wing of the Republicans in the House who are generally uh, kind of more ideologically extreme than those in the Senate. Uh, but it's sort of, when you look at the public opinion polling, it's really a no-brainer. Um, and it would be a sort of easy way. It, bump stocks themselves don't really have defenders as, you know, on their on the merits. Uh, but the problem is that it's a gun control law at all. Uh, and, you know, that would be... Um, you know, if it were to pass, that would be kind of the NRA accommodating a restriction on guns uh, when they haven't really at the federal level gotten any big uh, legislative wins, despite their strong support of Trump and the Republicans in 2016. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I wonder often when we have this conversation, whether we're whether we're talking about anything substantive at all, if we don't talk about the proliferation of weapons generally in this country and the fact that there are already some 300 million guns in circulation by some estimates. I I know that's very controversial to talk about that. I know it's really uh, a sticking point between gun rights advocates and gun control advocates uh, to talk about the idea that maybe we ought to reduce that number. But I'm curious about what you think about that solution and whether that's really the uh, you know one of the one of the levers we have to be pulling to talk about anything substantive changing in this country uh, with regard to gun policy. Uh, well, you're right. It's absolutely a very very tricky issue. You know, a lot of people, politicians like say Hillary Clinton and others in the Democratic Party will bring up you know the Australian example where after a mass shooting, a really terrible mass shooting there, and I, I believe the mid '80s, uh, they did mass gun confiscation, but no no country on earth has the sheer volume of guns uh, in civilian hands the United States does. Uh, you know, it's really hard to conceive of a effective program working, you know, a program like that one in Australia working in the United States. Uh, there's just simply too many guns sure. uh, already in public hands. But, you know, on the other hand, uh, the other side of this issue, uh, the NRA and Republicans are really, really reluctant to admit what seems like a pretty obvious fact confirmed by, you know, study after study by serious academics, that that's really the only, uh, that's really the only factor you can point to to explain why so many more Americans uh, die by gunshot than in any other, you know, wealthy country. Um, we don't actually have a higher violent crime rate overall than a lot of other countries, mm-hmm. but we have a lot more people killed. Uh, and, you know, that really comes down to the fact that there are just so many guns. Um, and it's, it's, it's hard. It's really, really hard to, uh, to find a, a kind of way to thread the needle there. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guest is Alex Yablon. He is a reporter with The Trace, an independent nonprofit investigative journalism outfit that exclusively covers guns and gun violence. We're talking about the proposals in Washington to change the way we regulate guns. The president of the United States has said he may be open to some stricter gun restrictions than uh, the NRA might uh, like or than uh, some of the Republicans in Congress might want to do. Uh, what do you think about those restrictions? What do you think about the ideas that are being floated, the idea of eliminating bump stocks, for instance, or what about the idea of arming teachers uh, so that they can, quote unquote, defend children in classrooms and in hallways? Uh, if you want to join the conversation, Give us a call. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll work you into the conversation. Chris on Facebook says, the president is doing more than anyone else has. Plus, I am a loyal supporter. And if he is not defying me, there are a lot of conservatives who feel there are ways of improving situations without throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Marine on Facebook says, I will have to see it to believe it from any of our elected officials. Arming teachers? No way. Raising the age limit to buy any kind of rifle? Not enough. I want automatic, automatic weapons pulled from the sales market altogether. We need more armed guards in the schools stationed near doors. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Let's go to Emily in Troy. Emily, welcome to Detroit Today. Hello, Stephen. Hi. How are you? Um, I'm a parent and a substitute teacher in the school district where I live. I do not think that teachers should be armed with guns. I think instead, arm them with the resources and funding necessary to prevent this. And and so what would that what would those resources look like from your that, standpoint? In my opinion, that that would look like more social workers, more uh, because the social workers are spread thin in the districts. They go from one school to another, mm -hmm. and they don't get to know the students and the families that would help them serve them better. I think put the resources into training teachers and their ability to spot kids that have issues, uh, like they mentioned with the Sandy Hook promise, um, I believe that guns are not the answer. I mean, yeah. teachers are not trained to be sharpshooters. Sure. They sure. are trained to teach English and art <laughs> and science. This right. is not okay. Yeah. Emily, I, I appreciate the call uh, and the comments. I especially appreciate the perspective, given that you're a teacher. Uh, as well as a as well as a parent, a parent. Alex, uh, I, I, let's talk about this idea first of all of teachers arming teachers. I don't take that terribly seriously. I, I mean, I, and I think that this is a president who oftentimes, you know, sort of throws the 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 the, the odd or extreme idea out there to get people to react to it, and that there isn't any real substance behind it. But but as somebody who covers this issue and has covered it sort of over a long period of time. Talk about the idea that more guns and more guns in quote-unquote responsible hands might be part of the answer. Yeah, you know, I think a lot of people, um, you know, who are on the kind of uh, maybe more democratic side of this debate, when they hear that, 
they might think that that means, you know, a kind of dismissing of the problem altogether. It's a way of ignoring, um, you know, uh, the issue of gun violence. But the NRA really, truly believes this and takes steps to actively uh, encourage gun uh, carrying in public. Um, and there are states, uh, you know, Ohio is one of them, uh, I believe uh, there are some states in like the Mountain West where uh, they, they already have this going on. Um, hmm. You know, Ohio uh, gives grants to schools to buy gun safes uh, so that teachers can be armed for exactly this problem. So it's not um, really as far-fetched. Uh, as you might think, there, this already happens on the ground in parts of the country. Hmm. Um, the thing is, is that there's not really a lot of basis uh, for thinking it's effective. Uh, we don't really hear about uh, about armed guards or concealed carriers stopping mass shootings very often in any kind of situation. Uh, and you know, usually, in even when um, you know trained policemen uh, and, you know, SWAT teams respond to these kinds of events, they have a hell of a time trying to uh, end these uh, these shootings. I'm thinking here of the, you know, the attack on a, a Planned Parenthood in Colorado a couple of years ago, uh, where, you know, there was a, you know, there was an hours long standoff with the SWAT team and a single man with a rifle. Um, it's really hard to Stop someone with a gun as deadly as an AR-15 or an AK-47. Sure. Um, so, I think it's politically not as far-fetched as a lot of your listeners may think, but uh, I think there's a really a lot of reason to be skeptical that it would help anything. Yeah. Uh, Diane on Twitter says, "As a teacher, if I ever had to shoot a student, I'd leave the profession." Why do the NRA's claimed 5 million members, representing approximately 1.5% of the U.S. population, get to hold the remaining 98.5% of the population hostage to their weapons of war fetish? Great question, Diane. Uh, thanks for sending that in. Let's go to Paul in Pontiac. Paul, welcome to Detroit Today. Yes. So I would first like to say that I think we need to change the way we describe this and say, not gun violence, but violence with guns. And that being said, the next thing I need to say is mental health care, mental health care, mental health care. Because every individual over the last 10, 15 years that we've had create a situation like this have all been found to be mentally deficient in some capacity. So... That being said, I'm also not opposed to increase the strength of your background checks to include more mental health care. Hmm. Where the funding for that comes from, I don't know, yeah. but something does need to be done. Yeah, Paul, uh, I, I think that's a great uh, that's a great dimension of this conversation as well. Thanks for calling and interjecting it, um, Alex uh, Yablon. What? what, what what is the, the the sort of current state of the debate over tighter checks for mental health? I know that, for instance, the ACLU um, had a real problem with, uh, with something that the Obama administration is trying to do, tightening regulations around uh, mental health checks with, with gun possession. Uh, there's a, there's a, another civil rights issue sort of lurking behind that, right? 
That's certainly true. Uh, I mean, you know, there's a real... Um, the people in the mental health profession take very seriously their patients' privacy. Uh, they don't want to be forced to turn over, um, you know, records. Uh, they also don't want to uh, stigmatize seeking mental health care. Um, but I, I want to be clear here. Uh, when the background check system says that it, you know, people with mental illness uh, shouldn't be able to buy guns, it's not saying people with a diagnosis uh, shouldn't be able to buy guns or people uh, who, you know, take, say, common SSRIs or see a therapist shouldn't be able to buy guns. It sets a really, really high bar. Um, you know, you have to be declared by a judge. Uh, to be, you know, mentally unfit to buy a gun. And that only happens in pretty rare circumstances, say when someone, you know, is found not guilty of a crime by reason of insanity or a judge orders them uh, against their will to seek psychiatric care. Uh, that, those things are both pretty rare compared to the much larger pool of people, um, you know, everyday Americans who you know, may suffer from depression or anxiety or, or even, you know, antisocial personality disorders or psychopathy, uh, a lot of those people are not going to meet that bar. And so while it's true that uh, so many of these shooters, you know, almost all of them exhibit really, really disturbing behavior, like, say, you know, threatening people they know or, uh, you know, torturing and killing animals, um, you know, uh, maybe even being visited dozens of times by social workers as the shooter in Florida was. Uh, this guy in Florida was never actually involuntarily committed to mental health, you know, to a mental health facility. Right. Uh, and he was never even prosecuted for a crime, as far as we know. Yeah. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number. On the phones, let's go to Ryan. Ryan in Garden City. Welcome to Detroit today. Hey, Stephen. Thanks hey. for taking my call. Sure. Um, so, you know, just the other day, Garden City High School went on lockdown because they found a, a bullet in the hall. And what's uh, it's nice that the Garden City Police Station is literally across the street from the high school, so they were able to respond quickly. But, you know, my, my point is what I wanted to call about is local ordinances, I think, need to take more control and not rely on the federal government. Um, you know, if local ordinances and cities actually posted, you know, a police officers on campuses that just, you know, hung out with the kids, were there as a presence, I think we'd see a big, a big change there. Um, mm. You know, maybe hopefully with less school shootings, but even more, just getting to know your police officers and being part of that community, I think would be a huge benefit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's my point. Thanks for taking my call. Yeah, no, no. Thanks for the, thanks for the call and the comments there. Uh, Alex, I'll give you a chance to address that. What is the opportunity for local governments to take more control of this than the federal government, which has been slow to, to react? I know that there are stories about, what the reaction was in Connecticut, for instance, after Sandy Hook, uh, and that, that things there look a little different today than they did when that happened. Uh, states can do an enormous amount, and states are really where most of 
uh, gun policy gets made. That's something that's kind of lost. You know, I get a little bit frustrated when people say the debate over guns uh, has ended, that nothing is happening. If you look at state legislators, tons is happening uh, across the ideological spectrum. Um, you know, states determine where people can actually take guns when they legislate things like, you know, can you conceal carry in a hospital or near a daycare uh, or some such, or do the opposite and say that, you know, business owners can't ban uh, their employees from, say, leaving their gun in their car in the company parking lot. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, states really create a lot of the limits on which guns you can own, uh, you know, how you buy ammunition and all that. Uh, But, uh, you know, a lot of them also um, really go to great lengths to stop local action. I'm talking here about below the state level, like counties or or cities. Uh, A lot of states have these things called preemption laws that say, you know, that basically – uh, say no municipality can make its own gun regulation uh, that's different from uh, you know what's set by the state legislature, and they can you know actually impose fines and kick people out of office at like the city level uh, if they attempt to do so. And uh, my one of my colleagues, uh, Mike Spees, has a big profile out this morning of the top NRA lobbyist in Florida, and it begins with an anecdote about a uh, you know a local elected official near Parkland who says he has to unfortunately tell uh, you know grieving family members that he really can't do anything uh, about uh, about guns just at, as a you know as a city councilman mm-hmm. because Florida has one of these preemption laws and he could be fined and kicked out of his position. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Alex Yeblon, reporter with The Trace, an independent nonprofit investigative journalism outfit that exclusively covers guns and gun violence. Thanks very much for being here on Detroit Today. Uh, Great talking with you. Up next, we're going to dig into what's causing those deep crags in our road. And don't forget, if you miss any of today's conversation on Detroit Today, you can go to iTunes or wherever you download podcasts, download and subscribe to Detroit Today. You can take us with you and listen when you are ready. We will be right back on Detroit Today.